<laughs> hey now, what up though? It's Jay Scott Smith here, the host of the People's Podcast, JSC Radio. And you might be wondering why I call it the People's Podcast. Well, I've got a brand new reason for me to call it the People's Podcast because I'm putting the future of this show into your hands. This show is now on Patreon. And what Patreon is, it's going to help you the JSC Radio listener, the JSC Radio follower and fan contribute to the show in whatever way you see fit. That's right, looking for people to help keep this show moving. Whether you want to donate $1 an episode, hell, $1 a month for $5 per episode, I'll shout you out on this show and you'll even be able to vote on exclusive polls and exclusive half episodes that's right jsc exclusives you'll get to hear those half episodes before anyone else for ten dollars or more per episode now it gets fun because you get to be a sponsor on this show you got a business you want me to talk about it i want you to sponsor my show for ten dollars hit me up send me the script i'm putting you over plus you get all the other cool stuff that comes with it $25 an episode, same thing applies, except this time you will become an official segment sponsor. Do you want a segment of this show sponsored by your business? Of course you do. That's why you want to hit me up on Patreon. For more information on how to become a sponsor of JSC Radio, go to patreon.com slash JSC Radio. Patreon.com slash JSC Radio, and you can truly help this become the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. With the second pick in the 2003 NBA Draft, the Detroit Pistons select Darko Milicic from Serbia and Montenegro. Turned 18 on Friday. The rules of the NBA Draft had to change a bit to allow Darko Milicic to be selected. Used to be you had to turn 18 within 45 days of the draft. Now you must turn 18 by the end of the calendar year that the draft is in. Darko Milicic, dad, 6'7", police officer. Mom is 6'3". Enjoyed Sacramento on TV. Peja Stojakovic and Vlade Divac back in his home. He watched. Now they will watch Darko Milicic. What will they see about him in the Villas breakdown? Darko Milicic, very highly skilled. He can shoot it, he can pass it. A very good rebounder and an excellent handler. He's fundamentally sound and he's got terrific hands. Just 18 years old and he's got all the elements that you want in a great player because he's a creative scorer on the offensive end. He can set his man up and make a move and with that seven foot five inch wingspan, he can shoot over the top of people. He's got very good footwork. He still needs to get stronger and get the strength to hold position down low but with his back to the basket he can make credible post moves and with those great hands look how he sets his man up uses a jab step that's extraordinary for a guy seven feet tall with the such long arms but with that strength to hold position i think a key watch when he tries to get position here inside the paint he winds up getting pushed all the way out to the corner as he gets stronger and matures as a basketball player he will be able to hold that position and he'll be much more likely to score with his back to the basket darko milicic a chance to be great you can't say that about that many big guys guy has got skills. Check it out. This is JSC Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Hey now. How's it going? My name is J. Scott Smith, and this is episode 21 of JSC 
Radio. Welcome to the People's Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. And yes, your eyes are not deceiving you. It's a weekend and this show has popped up on your feed. So remember, by the way, by the way, subscribe on iTunes. If this is your first time listening, welcome. Damn it, welcome. Subscribe on iTunes. You can get at me, of course, on Stitcher. Also on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash jscottsmith. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash jscottsmith. I'm also on Instagram. You guessed it, jscottsmith. Am I on Snapchat? You're damn right I'm on Snapchat. That name too, J. Scott Smith. So you might be wondering, what the hell has dragged me out of the shadows on a Saturday to join y'all on this show? Well, the NBA season is set to begin this week. I know, it's crazy. The NBA season is set to begin this week, and once again, I'm not even here to preview the whole league, at least not now. I might do that later on in the week, but not now. I'm here to strictly address any and everyone who's either a fan of the Detroit Pistons or of Carmelo Anthony or just likes to have buyer remorse over situations. And that is what this is about. For what has to be the five millionth time, one of the former Detroit Pistons, the 2004 NBA champions, the guys who got to the NBA Finals in 2005, if not for Rasheed Wallace strangely leaving Robert Ory wide open at the end of Game 5, there's a pretty damn good chance the Pistons end up winning that championship as well, and they would have been the ones to hang that first L on the Spurs in the Finals. The team that went to six consecutive conference finals that probably should have won at least one more NBA title in that stretch. One more of those championship Pistons has come out whining about the 2003 NBA draft. All right. So anybody who is even a passing efficient out of basketball knows the 2003 NBA draft was kind of like what the 1984 NFL draft was. It was the big game changer. It was the one that introduced LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. And as you heard to start the show, Darko Milicic. Now see, in Detroit, and I got to run this back a little bit. In Detroit, we have a bad habit of having buyer's remorse or what-if syndrome when it comes to trades or drafts or whatever is made of the different teams. Whether it's the Detroit Lions deciding that they were going to draft. And this is only recently. There's been plenty of examples. But only recently, the Detroit Lions deciding to, in the face of having the likes of Aaron Donald, who now plays for the Los Angeles Rams, or Odell Beckham, the Giants all-pro wide receiver, the Lions decided that they wanted to be smarter than everyone and draft a tight end named Eric Ebron with the 10th overall pick in the draft. They drafted a tight end that they didn't need with the 10th overall pick in the draft with Aaron Donald and Odell Beckham damn near bookending it. You know how that has turned out for the Lions regardless of anything else. Or maybe the greatest example of what if buyer's remorse syndrome, it goes back to 1987 with the Detroit Tigers. The Tigers at that point were charging to try to make the playoffs. They're three years removed from a world championship. They're within striking distance of the Toronto Blue Jays and New York Yankees and the then American League Eastern Division. And the Tigers decided to go for it and trade a young prospect pitcher to the Atlanta Braves for a man named Doyle Alexander. All Alexander did was win every one of his starts. He went 9-0. The Tigers ended up chasing down Toronto in the final week, winning the division on the final day. 
to go to the playoffs for the second time in three years. Now, we won't talk about what happened in the 1987 American League Championship Series. You can Google that. It, it pisses me off to this day. But the Tigers, their goal was to get to the playoffs and eventually get to the World Series. They got to the playoffs with Doyle Alexander. They finished one game out of first the following year in 1988. It actually turned out very well for them. The thing is, the guy that they traded to get Doyle Alexander is a guy known as John Smoltz, who anybody who follows baseball knows the man was an anchor of that great Atlanta Braves pitching staff during the 1990s when they won all those division championships and won the 1995 World Series. It was It's one of those things that Tiger fans to this day, despite the fact that the Tigers actually made the playoffs, to this day, there are people who are now in their 40s and 50s still lamenting the John Smolster. What if we just kept him? The Braves were a better fit for John Smoltz. And that's what brings us back around to this 2003 NBA draft and the Pistons taking Darko Milicic. We just had, once again, another Piston, Tayshaun Prince, do an interview saying that the Pistons could have won three or four world championships had they just not drafted Darko. If he stopped it at that statement, I would say he's overshooting it by maybe one title, but I could see where he's coming from. It's the person he then puts in Darko's place that I've always had an issue with. And that person is Carmelo Anthony, currently of the New York Knicks, but he was drafted third overall by the Denver Nuggets in 2003. I'm in that small number of people who was totally fine with Carmelo not being a Piston. I was cool with it. Everything's I'm nuts for saying that. I was good. I was totally good with Carmelo not being drafted by the Pistons. I was. I was. They didn't need him. I said that over and over again. They didn't need him. And they look at like, oh, but Carmelo was a dynamic scorer. And if you just put him on that team with Chauncey and, and Rip and, and Tayshon and Ben and, and Rashid, and they would have just won multiple championships. Listen, listen up. There aren't too many teams, single teams nor franchises that I followed more than that 2003-2004 Detroit Piston team. I watched every game. Hell, I got games from that season still on tape. Yes, tape. I was taping their games. I was in broadcast school at the time, and I couldn't see all their games live. So I would often watch their games on tape or on tape delay later on that night because the Pistons were that deal, especially as the season rolled on. So don't come at me with this silliness at all. If we'd have just had Carmelo, we'd have won multiple chances. First and foremost, the way the Pistons were set up, and we have to go back to the whole issue surrounding that draft. The reason the Pistons were drafting second was because of the Otis Thorpe trade at the tail end of the 1990s to the then Vancouver, but by that point, Memphis Grizzlies. As long as the Grizzlies pick did not fall at number one, the Pistons were getting that pick, and the Grizzlies were not good at that time. The Grizzles were still bad at this point. Well, if you recall, Cleveland got the number one pick. Three guesses to who they took in it. The number two pick went to the Pistons. You have to understand, this Piston team that got that number two pick was not some up-and-coming team that was finishing with 38 or 40 or 42 wins. They weren't this team of guys that were in need of a shot in the arm offensively and they were almost there and they were just coming up short in games. No, 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 no. This Piston team that got the number two pick was essentially handed a golden ticket, the same golden ticket that Adrian Lawrence was talking to me about a couple days ago on this show. The Pistons essentially got handed the money in the bank briefcase at the number two pick. They were coming off having won 100 games over the previous two seasons. Back-to-back 50-win seasons. 
including the 2002-2003 season, where they win 50 games, and they're the number one overall seed in the East. And they get to the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time in 12 years. And they're doing this with Chauncey Billups and Richard Hamilton having had one full year to get themselves together as a unit. They still had Ben Wallace. They were playing with the likes of Mehmet Okor, who was starting next to him. You had Corliss Williamson, and it was an Chucky Atkins was still on this team. This was the team that fell down 3-1 to Orlando in the first round of the playoffs that year before Rick Carlisle finally stopped being stubborn, deployed Tayshawn Prince pretty much out of, oh, what the hell is pretty much why he did it, and Tayshawn was all over Tracy McGrady like a cheap suit, you know, like the ones Tracy McGrady wears. Suddenly, the Pistons, who couldn't shoot straight for three of the first four games of that series, blew out Orlando the next three, rolled through Philly to the conference finals, where they got swept by the New Jersey Nets. But look, that's beside the point. 100 wins over two years, and they fired Rick Carlisle after this season, so they just brought in Larry Brown as the head coach. This team was going for it, but they were made up a certain way. They were not this team that just needed to drop some rookie scorer in there. And you're not going to drop a rookie scorer in there who's not fond of playing defense on a team with Larry Brown. A team that actually had some damn strong chemistry coming off, I'll stress it again, 50 wins and an appearance in the conference finals. So now we get to that draft and the Pistons have options, tons of them. The only guy that they know they're not getting is LeBron James. They have totally got this thing set up to where whoever they want to go, they're going to get them. So you had the guys, the three guys who were sitting out there for two, three, and four were Carmelo Anthony coming out of Syracuse, Dwayne Wade coming out of Marquette, and Darko Milicic coming out of Serbia. But there was another guy there, and we'll get to him in a second. The Pistons staring down this choice, considering that they're, again, 100 wins in two years. They're one player away, like one big man away from possibly ripping off that world title, getting their first world title in 14 years. They see an opportunity to bring in a young big man, either to have him make an immediate impact or groom him on that bench for a year or two down the road. And they decided to go damn near sight unseen. They saw him work out a couple times and they saw some interesting videos of this 17, soon-to-be 18-year-old kid in Serbia named Darko Milicic, who anybody had barely known, but this is also the time period when the NBA was out there really going hard after the European players. You'd seen what Dirk Nowitzki and Peja Stojakovic and Drazen Petrovic had done in the league prior to this, and the Pistons were trying to get their European big man, and they thought they had him in Darko Milicic. They didn't want to sit there and say, hey, if we don't grab him, that could be Dirk Nowitzki walking out the door. I can see why they did it. They shouldn't have done it. They drafted Darko number two. Carmelo goes number three to the Denver Nuggets. And for the last 12 years, despite the fact that that Piston team eventually won the NBA title, all Piston fans have cried and whined about, and all these so-called basketball experts have talked about, oh, if they'd only drafted Carmelo. Oh, if they only drafted Carmelo, they would have won three or four championships. I argue, had they drafted Carmelo Anthony, they don't get the championship in 2004, and they come up empty. Let's break down because this is my podcast and I can do whatever I want. Plus, this thing has really gotten under my skin for the better part of the last decade. 
let's look at who was on that Detroit Piston team in 2004. Because everyone just talks about, oh, you put Carmelo with Rasheed and 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 Chauncey and 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 they would just take off. Here's what that Piston team looked like. All right, on opening night, the Pistons team that was out there coming off of 50 wins, a division championship, number one in the conference, going into the playoffs previous year, you had Richard Hamilton, Chauncey Billups, Tayshawn Prince, Ben Wallace. So four of that starting five were already set. You had Okor, who started a fair amount of the games, by the way. He started 33 games that year prior to you-know-who strolling in there. You had Eldon Campbell starting a bunch of games because at some point during the year the, the Pistons ran into an issue they didn't have a big man that could help supplement Ben Wallace because Ben was not going to score a bunch of points Ben averaged 9.5 points a game that year and that damn near was a career high Ben was not going to score you a bunch he's going to get you a ton of rebounds he's he averaged 12 rebounds a game he's going to get you rebounds but the Pistons even with all that sitting out there they needed something they went for that big man. It was Eldon Campbell who started 27 games for the Pistons in 2004. 27. Eldon Campbell. You had Chucky Atkins, Corliss Williamson, who'd still been there from the Teal days. You had Hubert Davis played there for all of 33 games. He was gone. Jellico Rebracha, a name that you should pay attention to. Jellico Rebracha was an actual pretty integral part of this team the year before. You had Bobby Sura. Remember him? Darvin Ham. Those were your Detroit Pistons to start the 2003-2004 season. They were right there. Now, the Indiana Pacers were the team to beat. By the time they got to just after the All-Star break, they needed a shot in the arm. And on February 19, 2004, I can tell you exactly where I was when this happened. February 19, 2004, I was at a doctor's appointment. I was just leaving a doctor's appointment. I was driving up the highway, and I heard it come over the radio. It was at the time the number one sports station in the city, WDFN. I, I ended up actually interning there for a while, saying that the Pistons had had agreed to a three-team trade that would bring Rashid Wallace to the Pistons. When I tell you I almost hit the median driving up I-96, excuse me, I-696, dude, like for real, let's break down that trade. As a part of a three-team trade, the Pistons traded Chucky Atkins, Lindsey Hunter, and a 2004 first-round draft pick, who eventually ended up being Tony Allen, to Boston. The Pistons then traded Rebracha and Bobby Sura to Atlanta, along with a first-round pick, who turned out to be Josh Smith, to the Atlanta Hawks. In return, the Hawks sent the Pistons Rasheed Wallace, the Celtics sent the Pistons Mike James. And also, it's just an auxiliary part to make the whole thing work right. Chris Mills got shipped to Atlanta from Boston as well. A week later, Lindsey returned to the Pistons, setting up that angry backup backcourt called the Pit Bulls with Mike James and Lindsey Hunter. They were the two who would back up Chauncey. So now you've got Rashid as your new fifth guy in that starting lineup, and that bumps a guy like Eldon Campbell and Mehmet Okor back further into the rotation on the bench. Darko was just kind of sitting there because Darko didn't really see much of the floor at the time. In fact, he was he was affectionately known as the human victory cigar by this point because when you saw him in games, the Pistons were well out in front, but they were in a position where they didn't need to play him because, well, look at what that team turned into once you got Rashid and Mike James, to be fair, onto the team. So, I've said all that to say this. 
Carmelo Anthony on that team wouldn't fit. That Piston team was built on defense, defense, rebounding, and more defense. And timely shots from Chauncey, from Rip, from Tayshawn, and later on down the line, Rashid. Carmelo Anthony, who for the longest is known to be allergic to defense. A rookie Carmelo Anthony playing on a team with a hungry-to-win-a-championship, totally-focused, zoned-in Larry Brown. That ain't gonna work. It ain't gonna work. It wouldn't have worked. Who the hell were you gonna sub out for Carmelo, by the way? Because you weren't just gonna drop him in there in the starting five. Somebody's sitting, and it's probably Tayshawn. Or it's probably Rip. Because Carmelo was more of a two than a three. Defensively, that's causing all kinds of issues. And that's why I said, if Carmelo's on that team, they probably don't win the championship in 2004. Because the Pacers had the bodies to rattle a rookie like Carmelo. So you might wonder. You didn't want Darko on the team. No, Darko was a scrub. He was useless. He was a big stiff who never really amounted to anything in the NBA. And you didn't want Carmelo... Right, because he was a bad fit on that team. He wouldn't have worked. So, who exactly would you have drafted in place? Well, let's look at the other options. LeBron is gone, out the door. LeBron's the only one where if he were available, yes, I would have drafted him, and we would have just had to figure it out. He was, he was and still is a mutant, a super freak. He's the one that you blow up all sorts of team chemistry for, even if you're a 50-win team that was just a frog's hair away from an NBA title. So who else would I have brought in? Dwayne Wade? No. Dwayne Wade, unbelievable player, unbelievable leader. Miami was the perfect fit for him. He, they, when he landed in Miami, that's exactly where he needed to be. Plus, he's a two. Why would you bring in another two when you've got an all-star in Richard Hamilton playing the two? So you don't do that. Carmelo, we've already mentioned. He's either a two or a three. You already have a two. You already have a three. Does Tayshawn score like Carmelo? No, but his defense was offsetting anything that Carmelo was doing offensively. The next guy and the guy that I would have drafted to put on that Piston team is Chris Bosh. Currently should be on the verge of retiring because of the blood clot issue. But at the time, young rookie Chris Bosh is the guy that I would have brought onto that Piston team. I would have drafted him second. He would have gotten some burn and some minutes on that team from Larry Brown, unlike Darko. Bosh was, yeah, he was rail thin when he was a rookie, and he wouldn't have gotten a ton of starts, wouldn't have gotten a ton of play. You still likely bring in Eldon Campbell. He's still likely behind Okor. He's probably battling Jelko Rebracha for minutes. And Rebracha ends up getting traded, as you know, in February anyway. So he's gone. So when you trade him, you swap out Rebracha for Rashid. You now put Okor into where he should have been as your first big off the bench. And in certain situations, i.e. when guarding a guy like Shaq or dealing with a guy like Jermaine O'Neal, that's when you get Eldon Campbell into the mix. Bosch kind of gets in where he fits in. He's a rookie with all kinds of upside. He was young. He was raw. But you could tell he had game. And you would have left him on that bench until certain situations warranted it. Yes, I give him some burn and blowout games. If someone gets hurt, yeah, I'm going to go to Bosch and have him out there 
getting some rub, getting him on the floor with Ben, with Tayshawn, with Rip, with Chauncey. When Rasheed shows up, you get the same thing. So when you go into the playoffs, you have that young rookie. Again, we know Larry Brown, outside of Allen Iverson, Larry Brown wasn't very fond of playing rookies. So he wouldn't have gotten a lot of burn in 2004 because the Pistons didn't need him. But he would have been a fit down the line because of how that team was constituted. Okay? So, let's just say everything else works out exactly the way it did. The Pistons didn't need Darko to win the damn NBA title. They won it anyway. They stormed through the damn playoffs that year. Let's just keep it real. First round of the playoffs, 4-1 over Milwaukee. The toughest series they had was really the New Jersey series in the conference semis where they end up beating the Nets in seven games after they lost that unbelievable fifth game double overtime at home where Chauncey hits the midcourt shot and sends him to OT. It was, it was nuts. But the Pistons lose that game, turn around, fall down 15 in game six, come back and end up winning it going away. Then they won the seventh game with ease, go to the conference finals for a six-game fist fight with the Indiana Pacers, win that series, they get to the finals, and they smother the Lakers in five games. It was awesome. They didn't need Bosch to win that title. They didn't need Darko to win that title. But you could have Bosch on the team. He wouldn't have disturbed the chemistry. He would have been sitting behind dudes like Rashid and Ben and Memo and even Eldon Campbell. You let that rookie grow on that bench. You let him grow on a team that has a winning culture already ingrained in it. And he won't disturb the flow. And he would have been a lot easier guy for Larry Brown to coach as opposed to Carmelo Anthony, where you would have had to really tinker with that entire culture of that team. And I don't think they beat the Pacers with Carmelo. I don't think they beat New Jersey with Carmelo. And if they somehow got to the finals, I for damn sure don't I for damn sure think they don't beat the Lakers with Carmelo. Carmelo would have needed to get minutes that first year. Bosch didn't need him. I'm sure, well, yeah, he got him when he went to Toronto, but he didn't need him. Toronto needed him to play because Toronto was a shit heap. The Pistons were not. So then you ask, well, but Carmelo, they could have won championships down the line. I keep saying this. They don't win one with Carmelo, but they could have won two or three with Chris Bosh. Here's, here's why. The following year, Okor, realizing there's a logjam of big guys on this team, signs as a free agent, bounces out to the Utah Jazz. Well, look what we have here. We got ourselves an opening. Up moves Bosh. Darko was supposed to be the guy who replaced Okur when he left. And it was very evident very quickly that wasn't going to happen. So now Bosch will slide into that spot and he'll start getting more and more minutes and more and more burn. Because again, you have a starting five, Chauncey, Rip, Tayshawn, Ben, Rashid. Your next five off that bench, guys like Antonio McDice. You don't have to worry about some dude like Smush Parker, who was on the team, but you're talking about Antonio McDice and Carlos Delfino. Campbell was still there, and now right along comes Chris Bosh. He's one of your first guys off that bench. Period. He's one of your first guys off the bench. And he gets real burn, and he gets real minutes. And not only that, considering the Pistons lost Ben for a few games because of that little, you know, minor issue of the, the whole Palace Brawl thing, Bosh would have gotten more burn and gotten more of a rub, and you would have seen him on the floor. You would have seen him out there playing in place of Darko, who did next to nothing. So now you get through 05. Who's to say 
that by the time they get to the NBA Finals, because for example, they made it through the playoffs again, beat Philly in five games, beat the Pacers again in six, and these are the Pacers who were depleted because they lost our test in Jermaine O'Neal for most of the dams. They lost our test for the entire season and Jermaine O'Neal for most of it. So you lose those two guys. Pistons won that series in six. They might have been able to win it in five if you have young Bosch coming off the bench as opposed to Eldon Campbell. <laughs> okay, it's a little different. Conference finals, amazing series with Miami. Go seven games. Pistons pull that damn thing out in Miami. It gave me goosebumps watching that thing live on television. It's the finals against the Spurs. Because I argue, and I mentioned it earlier, Rashid decided he was going to go cover Robert Ory. Or no, Rashid decided he was going to go cover Manu Ginobili instead of Robert Ory. And what should have been a Piston victory in Game 5 turned into a loss. The Pistons didn't go out and win the sixth game in San Antonio, then lose the seventh and lose the championship. You could argue... If you have Bosch, you might get that championship. You might get that W. Lest we forget who the guy was who swatted that ball back to Ray Allen a couple of years ago in Miami when he hit the shot of a lifetime. It was Chris Bosch. You put Bosch out there, who by that point is now his second season. He's gotten a lot more minutes and a lot more burn underneath him. Boom. There it is. So now we get to 2006. You're coming off of having the near miss in San Antonio. You've won the title two years earlier. Larry Brown is gone by this point now. You got Flip Saunders. This team wins 64 games. 64. They stumble through the playoffs. And again, you still got this unit. Chauncey, Rip, Ben, Tayshawn, Rashid. You still got Lindsey Hunter. You still got McDice, who's come along by this point now. But you keep looking up and you got Carlos Delfino, but they also had the likes of Kelvin Cato and Dale Davis on this team and Amir Johnson who didn't get any burn on this team. But by this point, if you've got Chris Bosh, you don't need Kelvin Cato or Dale Davis. You can jettison one of those guys. You probably don't draft Amir Johnson or maybe you do because now you set up your front court of the future by having those two guys there. Pistons win 64 games. They come up short against Miami in the conference finals. Four games to two. Who's to say if you, by this point, now you've had Bosch for three years and Bosch is now, by this point, an integral part of your rotation that they don't win that series against Miami and then they go to Dallas and win the NBA title. There's your second one, maybe your third. Now we go to 2006-2007. And oops, Ben Wallace is gone. He up and left for Chicago. Stunning. Shocking. I remember I was actually working in Lansing, Michigan at the time, and I was hosting a party. It was right around 4th of July, and I was hosting a party when I got one of those ESPN alerts. This is the early days of the ESPN alerts on cell phones, and I got an ESPN alert that Ben Wallace had signed in Chicago. Devastating. Stunning. Shocking. This guy's the heart and soul of your team. He's the heart and soul of that renaissance that the Pistons made during that part of the decade. He's gone. Left for more money, got sick of Flip Saunders, and went to Chicago to try to stick it to the Pistons. Whatever shall we do? Oh, look. Look what we have here. We have a guy who was your second overall pick just three years earlier who's been getting more and more minutes and more and more burn. 
he's actually won you some games. He started to see some legit playing time the previous year. He came up big for you during your playoff run through the through all the way to the finals in 2006. His name is Chris Bosh. Suddenly, Ben leaving isn't the death blow that it appeared to be at the time because now you've got a guy with three years' experience. You've likely re-signed him, and he drops right on into that starting lineup. Chauncey Billups, Richard Hamilton, Tayshawn Prince, Rasheed Wallace, and Chris Bosh. And that's just drawing it out to that point. 2006, 2007, those of us in Detroit know how that season ended. It may have ended in the sixth game in Cleveland, but we all know how it really ended. That fifth game with LeBron going Super Saiyan and scoring 29 of the last 30 or something stupid during the fourth quarter in OT. Tayshawn is diving out of the way. Jason Maxeel basically wanted no part of him. This is a team that had Nazi Muhammad and Jason Maxeel and Amir Johnson and Will Blay. I mean, look at these guys. How that team got to the goal. Chris Weber came in. Chris Weber came into that team late in the season. If you have Chris Bosh, you don't bring Weber in because you don't need him. They beat Cleveland in the conference finals. And then look what we have, a matchup with the Spurs. You call that a toss-up. The following year, they get to the conference finals with Boston. I argue whoever won that conference finals, either Detroit or Boston, was going to win the NBA title. Turned out it was Boston who won that conference final, and they went out and blew the Lakers away and won the NBA championship. So I hope this lengthy dissertation that I've laid out for you has helped because I'm so sick and tired of hearing the Carmelo love. Do I think Carmelo Anthony is a great NBA player? I do. I think he's a dynamic NBA player. He's a hell of a scorer. He's turned himself into one of the maybe five to seven best players in the NBA, but I don't think he's much of a winner. The only set of success the guy has had in the league came when the Pistons foolishly traded Chauncey Billups to Denver. Chauncey got out there and was able to make chicken salad from the chicken you-know-what that was Carmelo and those Nuggets. I maintain that the Pistons get at least two, you could argue three, world championships if they don't draft Darko Milicic, but instead draft Chris Bosh. Just think about that for a second. Look at Bosch's numbers over his career, especially those first few years. Yeah, his rookie year is going to fall off because, of course, he would have been on a team that didn't need to use him. But start really at that second year, then the third and the fourth. You put that Bosch on that team, I'm just saying. Carmelo's a great player. They didn't need him. Wasn't a fit. Just like Dwayne Wade wouldn't have been a fit. Just like Darko Milicic wasn't a fit. LeBron James wouldn't have been a fit, but then again, that's LeBron James. He's the guy you make the exception for, not Carmelo Anthony. I hope we don't have to have this discussion again. My name is Jay Scott Smith, telling you to take care of yourself. God bless. Always dare to be different. Always have your pets spayed or neutered. And we are out of here. I will see you maybe next week, maybe later on this week. You never know. Good night, everybody. Thanks for coming out. God bless you. Good night. Check it out. This is JSC Radio. Hello. I'm Aziz Ansari. I'm here because apparently 
there's someone that's on the fence about voting and they're gonna see me telling them to vote and then they're gonna be like, okay, I guess I'll vote. What, what the f do you need? How many celebrities have made these stupid f videos? Robert Downey Jr. made one. DiCaprio made one. Jennifer Lawrence is in one. These people are way more famous than me. Why do you need me? Well, Aziz, some of the millennials are really responding to you. If you can make a video, really, it's gonna make a difference. There's a f guy running that says he hates brown people. Why, well, that's not enough? He doesn't believe in climate change. You know how dumb you have to be to not believe in climate change at this point? Seriously, this is gonna make the difference. It's my lunch break right now. Go vote, please. There's too much at stake to sit on the sidelines during this election. Register to vote at nextgenclimate.org vote and then get out there to the polls on November 8th.